Hello everyone, this is Jason here. I just wanted to provide a quick announcement uh, about the podcast for this summer. For the last year and a half or so since the pandemic started, we've been um, providing Sunday morning worship of one kind or another on YouTube live. Most recently, we've been live streaming the entire worship service. Um, That hasn't really been sustainable And while we plan to continue offering uh, online worship in some fashion, uh, we're taking a break for the rest of the summer to kind of regroup and uh, create something that is more permanent and sustainable for our church. So for the month of June and July, however, uh, we're just going to be posting the Sunday morning sermon uh, to this podcast feed. And so... Uh, This week, beginning with this first one, is Dr. Dave Moorhead, who brought us the message on Sunday, June 20th, while Warren was away on vacation. And uh, for June and July, the sermon will go up on Sunday, and then the regular podcast episode, usually an interview or discussion of some kind, as we have normally have had, will go up on Wednesday morning. So without further ado, I bring you Dr. Dave Moorhead from this morning, Sunday, June 20th, 2021. With a brief introduction from Terry Rasko. Thanks and enjoy. Now, thank you for being here. Um, This is a time of travel and vacation. I know we have many of our members uh, out, but we have others that are getting ready to be out. And and we're very fortunate to have very capable of people that can step in and preach and present God's word. Uh, when our regular preaching minister, Warren, is out of town, he'll be out this week and then next week. Uh, Rachel, our uh, um, life minister, is going to be preaching next week. And today, we're very fortunate to have uh, who I'm going to call one of the pillars of our church here. We were, we were studying uh, Simon Peter this morning, and, and Paul later refers to Simon as one of the pillars of the church. And certainly, I would see both uh, Dave and Marcia as some of our pillars. Now, you can take that to mean whatever you want to mean. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I take it in the best way possible. Uh, years ago, when I was a when I was a student, uh, I came to this church, this very early, brand new church. And uh, Dr. Dave, as we called him then, uh, uh, as many of us still call you, Dr. Dave Dow. You never outgrow that, do you? Uh, he was one of my mentors then, and so we're very uh, fortunate to have Dr. Dave speaking today, and he's going to present God's Word on the message of God. So, Dave, I turn it over to you, and again, thank you for speaking to us today. And I thank you, Terry, and it's always good to be back. Uh, it's been a lot of years since I spoke from this pulpit. Uh, but uh, you'll just have to wait and see how it, uh, how it turns out. <laughs> um, what I'm going to do today is <clears throat> I'm going to read for you from the Word of God Scripture that describes three unexpected gifts from our magnificent Creator. These are not gifts we requested. I don't even uh, sense that these are gifts we recognize that we needed, but God knew we needed them, and He gave them to us. And I'd like to uh, uh, speak about those uh, this morning. First of all, 
I'd like to remind you that when I speak the Word of God, I'm speaking something that is very powerful. Uh, it's not exactly the same as if I were reading to you from a textbook or even a bestseller. Although those frequently have truth and they're certainly valid in terms of ways to think about, but it's not the same as the Word of God. And I'd like to uh, uh, discuss with you or cover with you some of the reasons that I believe that. First of all, I'm going to mention three different scriptures that describe the Word of God in a little different ways. The first of all is Isaiah. Isaiah, you remember, was a prophet in the Old Testament times. And in the 55th chapter of a book he wrote, he wrote that God's Word never fails that it always accomplishes the purpose for which God sent it. I don't think that's changed. In Ephesians, Paul was talking about spiritual warfare. And he described the Word of God as the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. Now, he's talking about spiritual warfare so what he is talking about is the weapon that a warrior would use to cripple or kill the enemy. And then there's Hebrews 4, that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any uh, double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the separation of spirit and soul and of bone and marrow. Now, all of these really talk about powerful kind of things, but I want to take that a step further. I want to take a step further to say that there's reason for us to believe that the, the, uh, God's Word is even more powerful than I've yet described. And I've got to go back a long way and talk about the 6th century before Christ because there were a group of folks that uh, were developed that were called philosophers and they were very thoughtful people. And the philosophers, again, were attentive people. And what they noticed was they noticed that uh, the sun came up almost the same time every morning, and it set almost the same time every evening. It snowed in the winter. It was hot in the summer. If you looked up at the planets, they always followed about the same direction and movement uh, that they had before. And so they thought to themselves, you know, this is kind of interesting. I wonder what makes all that happen like it does. Because you see, that would be a very powerful kind of thing. And so they all got together and talked about it for a number of years and finally came up with a concept of logos. And logos meant 
the all-powerful. It meant all of the forces at play in nature that caused the world to function as it functioned. So it became a very powerful concept in that day. Now, it actually became even more important when the Jewish rabbis, a little later on, got together and decided that actually what the Logos was, and it was a word that actually John used in his gospel to describe God's word, but that what it really was, was that it was all of the power that Jesus has used as God's craftsman at the time of the creation to create all of the world. And Genesis tells us that God was the, uh, that Jesus was a craftsman that did that. So, what I'm suggesting to you is the notion that the Word of God holds in its own power all that Jesus had and did as He Himself was during the creation. And that it, it has for us today power. And that power, I'm going to read in just a few minutes. But I want you to know that I think that it is more than just any kind of reading of general nature. But it's a special thing. And we'll uh, talk about that. Now, what I plan to do today is I plan to read to you three different uh, stories about wonderful, marvelous blessings that God has provided us. And what I intend is, I intend that by the time we finish, that your heart and mind are going to be filled with love and appreciation and joy for the wonderful God we have. Now, I have to make a confession, and I know you're not supposed to do this as a public speaker, but I have to confess to you that I've always been a little critical of preachers who always talked near the time of a public holiday about that topic. And of course, this is Father's Day, and I've decided to talk about Father or God, so I've fallen into that trap. <laughs> but you have to know that I... A couple of decades ago, I got really interested in theology, and so it really is important that I talk about our Father in this particular way at this uh, particular time. Now, um, if I could uh, go to that first slide, I'm going to read from you this particular uh, story, this particular thing that uh, God did for us. And then I'll explain some of the things that I think it means. Uh, the first story, the first blessing that I'm going to talk about is that our God chose us and predetermined us uh, in our lives. That God decided before we were born many of the things about us that are critical. Now, imagine if you would, okay? This is God, and He's pausing before He begins the creation. And 
he's um, thinking about sort of what's this earth going to be like. He said, well, I think I'm going to make some creatures. And I think some of them are going to stand up tall and be a little bit more like deity and be perhaps a little smarter. And we're going to call them humans. And uh, I'm going to think now about Temple, Texas. And I think about humans in Temple, Texas. And I think that I'll send down a Tad and a Pam and a John and a Yvonne and an Eileen and a Marcia and um, all the others who happen to be here. Okay. And I'm going to do something very special for them. I'm going to choose them for my purposes. I'm going to choose them to be different. Okay. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glory, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us the mystery of this will, according to His good pleasure, which He pro proposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment. Get this, to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. So, God has done something that's a little peculiar in our minds, in our way of thinking it from a human standpoint. God has chosen us. Now, most of us have always believed that it was we who decided to follow Christ. That's probably not the way it works. Jesus explained to uh, the people who he was teaching during his ministry in John 15, 16, that you did not choose me, I chose you. And this scripture, in a sense, verifies that by saying that he chose us before the creation of the world for certain purposes. First of all, we're chosen to be holy and blameless. That is, to follow God, to be godly, to be righteous, to be helpful to everybody else. But also, He chose us to be disciples of Jesus. And that's so special because it is in Jesus that God gives us all the remainder of the blessings that it takes to make us perfect kind of creatures for Him. So that's a very important thing. But God chose us. Uh, we can't be very proud because we're here, uh, because God has already chosen us and sent us here uh, to be different. And I appreciate that about you.
Now, <clears throat> we'll just uh, finalize this particular section by noting that the purpose of the gifts, the purpose of this gift and the other two that I'm going to talk to you about, the purpose of this gift is so that we will praise God and be grateful to Him because He is so gracious to us and takes care of all that we need. Um, and that the final blessing is that Jesus will remove all the chaos that exists in our natural earth. Okay? So that left to itself, the earth falls into chaos. With Jesus at the helm, that chaos moves into peace. Now, the second blessing that I'll uh, talk about uh, has to do with the fact that our God knows us. And I, I think this is an incredible psalm uh, because of what it says about us. And I'm uh, planning to read that to you. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit, when I rise, you receive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is in my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on you far side uh, on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My name was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And how precious to me are your thoughts, God, how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away, with, away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversities misuse, uh, your adversaries misuse your name. Now, if we really take that at its face value, that is an incredible kind of piece of information. 
And it says that God is with us every moment of our lives. And not only is He with us, but He knows exactly what we're doing, what we're thinking, what we're saving, our movements, what we're doing. He knows what we plan to do. But He also does something neat. There's just one little verse that says He hems us in. In other words, to protect us from doing stupid stuff. Not everybody does that, but a few of us are prone to it. Uh, to do that, God helps us and protects us uh, from that. Not only that, He is with us from the moment of conception in our mother's womb. And not only that, but He watches over us and watches over our unformed body as it forms. So we look like, we look like because God is, was in our mother's womb and looking over and also choosing for us our form. And at the same time, it said that He was uh, determining, He was projecting what our lives were going to be like each day. It's an incredible kind of thought. It's more than I can actually understand. But it just says to me, what a loving God, what a beautiful thing that He has done. A gift that He's given because He knows us and follows us and protects us and with us all the time. Now, the third topic that I will cover is that God has freed us from condemnation. And I can give you, I can read for you, no more important message uh, than this one. In Romans 8.1, and there are two scriptures that I'll read, it says basically the same thing. Romans 8.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the sin of uh, from the law of sin and death. And then John 3:16, we all know by heart. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So that God has freed us from condemnation. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means if we look way back, and particularly if we look um, in Romans 5 through 7, chapter 5 through 7. If we look at that, we learn that Adam and Eve were created by God, and then they sinned. And when they sinned, God placed on man a curse for eternal death, eternal death, so that man had no hope after uh, God. Place that curse upon him until 
Jesus Christ came. And because Jesus was willing, Him a God, to voluntarily give up His life to die for us, then our sins have been forgiven and will be forgiven by God. Now, that, that's a marvelous uh, thing to me. But, and, and I must admit, I've rethought that. I used to think that it was at the time of baptism because it obviously happens then. That is, that we uh, as believers agree to die to our life of sin with Jesus as He did during the crucifixion and then be resurrected with Him into a new life. And I always thought, well, that's when the forgiveness occurs. But I've changed my own personal thinking. I think the forgiveness occurs after each sin so that there are no sinful believers. There are no sinful believers. That is, the counselors tell me that there's a lot of fear and shame and blame uh, that resides in different uh, people who feel guilty about this, that, or the other. And what I'm suggesting is there's no reason for us to be guilty, feel guilty, because we're not guilty, because God, through Jesus, has forgiven each of our sins. Now, by this time, I ought to be hearing some praise the Lord or some sort of of recognition about the majesty of this God that we have who has gone to such great ex uh, extremes, even give up His own Son. And us dads can't imagine doing that. Even gave up His own Son so that we could be freed from this curse of death and we could have eternal salvation. It just doesn't get any better than that. We will now uh, say the, uh, the prayer. And I can't read it from here, so let me turn around. Okay, I'll read the white and ask you to do the red. Uh, the yellow, sorry. We confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, and renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable, or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, and renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, God, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build a kingdom of peace. 
We resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. We will now participate in communion.